0: As they're doing that uh, would you turn with me in your bible to exodus exodus chapter 7. so in the book of exodus we see the journey of the israelites from bondage to belonging from bondage to pharaoh to belonging to god and as we've said many times what god did for the israelites in the book of exodus he's done for us in an even greater way in a more lasting and eternal way through jesus christ our savior, he's brought us out of bondage to sin and death and the devil, and he's welcomed us into his family, given us his righteousness and come to dwell among us and promised us eternal life with him. Uh, So far in the story of Exodus, let me give you a one minute recap. The Israelites have been enslaved and oppressed in Egypt for generations. God's called Moses and Aaron to lead them out, out of bondage. Moses and Aaron have gone before Pharaoh and stated God's purpose, but then Pharaoh doubled down on his oppressive policies. And as a result, Moses and the leaders of the Israelites became discouraged, frustrated, and angry. And last week we looked at how God reassured them when they were discouraged and frustrated and angry that things had gotten worse instead of getting better. But this week we see God acting decisively on his people's behalf. Now this section that we're looking at is often known as the 10 plagues. Uh, I've entitled it The Great Showdown because it's a dramatic confrontation between Pharaoh who wants to be in charge and the one true God who is really in charge. So the account of the plagues is a long one. It's four chapters long uh, from 7, chapter 7, verse 8 through the end of chapter 10 or chapter 11 Uh, Chapter 11 sort of transitions on to the next section. So I'm going to take two weeks to cover this long section. uh, And because it's so long, I'm not going to read all four chapters right now. Uh, I'm going to begin by reading the account of the first three plagues from 714 to 819. So I'm going to start reading at chapter 7, verse 14. Now, if you're reading in the Bible and you come to a long story like this one, or if you're reading one of the historical books like 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and you have these long stories, and you're sort of wondering, what do I do with this story? What's the point of it? Uh, Let me give you three pointers to help you find your way through. Number one, look for any purpose statements. Any statements about why this is all happening or what God's purpose is through these events. And there are a few of those in this section. Second, look for the patterns in the story. Uh, there are several patterns and phrases that are repeated for the sake of emphasis and those are especially worth noticing and third don't lose the forest for the trees Uh, i could preach one sermon on each of the plagues and what god was teaching pharaoh and the egyptians through each one of them uh, and that might have some value but the account of the plagues is not 10 separate stories with 10 completely different points it's really one long story with one main point, And so that's why I want to look at it all together today. So look for purpose statements and patterns and don't lose the forest for the trees. So as I read, uh, let me encourage you to listen for purpose statements and patterns. Um, as we, uh, and the, an- the question I'm gonna address today is what was God's purpose in sending the 10 plagues on Egypt? Uh, next week we'll look specifically at the character of Pharaoh who's an important character in this story. We'll sort of focus on what do we learn from him. All right, so chapter seven, verse 14, here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go. That they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you haven't obeyed. Thus says the Lord By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff. And stretch out your hand over the waters of egypt over their rivers their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood and there shall be blood throughout all the land of egypt even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone moses and aaron did as the lord commanded in the sight of pharaoh and in the sight of his servants he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the nile and all the water in the nile turned into blood and the fish in the nile died and the nile stank so that the egyptians couldn't drink water from the nile There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into this house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up upon you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses the frogs died out in the houses the courtyards and the fields and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said then the Lord said to Moses say to Aaron stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So what was God's purpose in sending all these plagues upon the land of Egypt? This morning, I want to focus on three main purposes. Number one, God sent the plagues to save his people. Number two, God sent the plagues to judge his enemies. And number three, God sent the plagues to reveal his character. And that last one is really the one that encapsulates all of them, to reveal his character by saving his people and judging his enemies, but we'll look at each of those one by one. So first purpose of God in sending the plagues was to save his people. Uh, Now, if you look on your bulletin insert, I have listed the plagues. They are in three groups of three because that's how they come in the Bible. And each group follows a similar pattern. So if you look at chapter seven, verse 15, Moses goes to Pharaoh in the morning by the river. And he says, let my people go so that they may serve me. And he does the same thing in plague four and plague seven, the first one in each group. In the middle one in each group, plagues two, five, and eight, Moses goes in, presumably into the palace to speak to Pharaoh, and he says the exact same thing, let my people go so that they may serve me. References are chapter eight, verse one, chapter nine, verse one, and chapter 10, verse one for that one. In Plagues 3, 6, and 9, the last one in each group, the account is much shorter, and Moses doesn't say anything to Pharaoh at the beginning. But what we see here is that no matter where Pharaoh is, when he's walking by the river or when he's inside his palace, God's message to him is the same. Six times God says, let my people go or else. So that's one of these repeated phrases throughout this long account, and... Uh, We should take note of those, right? Pharaoh thinks that the Israelites belong to me, so I can do whatever I want with them. And God is saying to Pharaoh, no, they're not yours, they're mine. You didn't create them, I did. You don't have ultimate authority over them, I do. And they've cried out to me for help and deliverance because you've been oppressing them for years, and I'm committed to answering their prayer. And if you're standing in the way I'll do whatever I need to do to get you out of the way. That's what God is saying to Pharaoh. Let my people go or else. And as the plagues progress, God demonstrates his specific care and concern for the Israelites. Uh, Now, we just read the first three plagues, but if you look at plagues four and following, uh, God specifically exempts the Israelites from being affected by several of these plagues. Uh, So if you look at chapter 8, verse Uh, 22 uh, God sends flies upon the land but in verse 22 he says on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth thus I will put a division between my people and your people and we see the same thing in chapter 9 verse 6 and chapter 9 verse 26 and chapter 10 verse 23 so God specifically shows that he's committed to saving his people, and he even protects them while the plagues are going on from the effects of some of the plagues. So that's the first of God's purposes that we see in the Ten Plagues. God is utterly committed to saving his people uh, so that they would freely and wholeheartedly serve him. And when we look at the Bible as a whole, we don't just see... That's God's purpose in Exodus. That's God's purpose in the New Testament as well. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, no matter how desperate of a predicament that God's people find ourselves in, physically or spiritually, God is completely committed to saving us and bringing us to a place where we can worship him freely and wholeheartedly, just as he did with the Israelites. You know, what did God do? not just in the book of Exodus, but in the rest of the Bible to save his people, to save us from our greatest enemies, from sin and Satan and death. God didn't just send a few plagues on one part of the world. God sent his own, and he didn't just raise up Moses to advocate for his people. God sent his own son into the world, Jesus Christ, to become a human being and to take the punishment for our sin On the cross, and to rise again victorious to demonstrate that he had done what he would do, whatever was necessary in order to save us. So, that's the first of God's purposes that we see in the plagues, and it's an encouraging one that God is willing to do whatever is necessary to rescue his people who trust in him and who call out to him. Uh, But that's not the only purpose of the plagues. The second purpose of the plagues that we see is God sends the plagues to judge his enemies. The plagues are a manifestation of God's judgment on Pharaoh in particular and the Egyptians in general. And the plagues show us, I think, two main facets of God's judgment. First, they show that God judges his enemies with patience. God didn't wipe out Pharaoh and the land of Egypt completely and all at once. In fact, if you look at chapter 9, verse 15, this is to the the seventh plague, and God says to Pharaoh, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Basically, God's saying to Pharaoh, I could have been done with you a long time ago. I could have given you exactly what you deserved already, but I haven't. Every day. God is very patient with this world that we live in. If you and I saw all the things that God in his all-knowing nature can see, all the evil thoughts in people's minds, all the purposes in people's hearts, most of which don't get carried out because God prevents them from carrying out the evil that they intend, all the selfishness, everything besides all the things we already see, right? Any of us would not have had the patience that God has toward this world. If God punished every one of us exactly as we deserve immediately for every evil thought and word and deed that we have committed, none of us would be here today. We'd be done already. But the plagues show us that God judges his enemies with great patience. If you Uh, Look at the three cycles of plagues. The first group of three were mostly annoying. The people had to dig along the river to find water. And then the frogs were jumping in their beds. And then the gnats were biting them. The next three plagues get more serious. They're destructive. So the the land of Egypt was ruined by the swarms of flies. And in chapter 9, verse 6, the livestock of the Egyptians died. But the last three plagues were the most serious. Uh, Beginning in the seventh plague, uh, God warns the people. He says, the hail is coming, and if you are out in the field, if your livestock are out in the field, they will die. Uh, And, of course, the last plague, the tenth plague in chapter 11, involved the death of the firstborn sons. We're going to deal with that plague later on when we get to chapter 11. But the point is, God judges his enemies with patience. But the second aspect of God's judgment that we see in the plagues is that God judges his enemies with justice. In other words, God's judgments are not arbitrary. Uh, Now, when we read these sections, sometimes we sort of think, what's going on here? Like, why the frogs? You know, that seems to come out of nowhere. Um, Why the water turned into blood? Uh, But in your insert, I have Uh, listed most of the plagues are connected with some of the gods that people worshipped in Egypt and Each of the plagues was sort of God Attacking one of the gods that people worshipped and showing that that God was not worth worshipping at all Uh, I'll come back to that point a little bit later Uh, But another way to put this about God's judgments are not arbitrary He judges the world with justice is when God established the universe he established it with physical boundaries Right, Like, we depend on the boundary between the land and the water, staying where it is. If the water overflows that boundary, you have a flood, and you have all kinds of destruction. Right, We depend on, or if the river overflows, then it's not good if your house is by the river. Right, We depend on the physical boundaries of creation being maintained in order to live. But God also set up moral boundaries, in the universe that he established and the egyptians were disregarding and ignoring and overstepping and transgressing god's moral boundaries so one of the moral boundaries god set up in the world was the distinction between the creator god and his creatures we're supposed to worship god and not worship created things but the egyptians were worshiping a bunch of created things the nile river pharaoh himself a goddess who looked like a frog, all kinds of things. They were worshiping creatures instead of the creator God and ignoring that boundary. Another boundary God set up is that God did not give any one human being unlimited absolute power. In other words, any human being who's in authority is ultimately accountable to God. But Pharaoh was acting as if he was his own God, and he could do whatever he wanted. He didn't see any limits on his power. He thought. If I want the Israelites to be my slaves, I'll make them my slaves. If I want to make them, oppress them even more and treat them even more cruelly, I have the right to do so. And God was saying to Pharaoh, no, you don't. So what God did is he said, Pharaoh, you've ignored the moral boundaries that I have set up in my world. And so I am going to remove some of the physical boundaries that maintain life in this world. So Genesis 1, God established a boundary between the land and the water. In Egypt, the water turns to blood. People can't drink the water. In Genesis 1, God made human beings to rule over the earth and its creatures and be stewards of it. But here, all the creatures turn and attack the humans. The frogs, the gnats, the flies, the locusts, they all attack the humans and attack the rest of creation. In creation God established boundaries between light and darkness and the ninth plague the darkness covered the land There's no more boundary between light and darkness. It was all darkness Uh, In Genesis 1 God spoke ten words to form and fill the world Let there be light Let there be an expanse between the waters in the sky above and the waters on the earth below ten times God said let there be as he formed and filled the world and here, God sends 10 plagues to uncreate Egypt. He's saying, "I look, I've formed and filled the world and structured it, and I'm the Lord over it, and you've completely ignored all my boundaries. And so I'm going to return it to the state that it was in beforehand, to a state of chaos and emptiness and death. So the point is, God's judgment aren't arbitrary. These aren't just random miracles that come out of nowhere. Uh, They're entirely just. Now some people might ask, uh, I want to deal with two questions that people might ask about God's judgment before we move on to the next point. First question is, how is it fair that the rest of the Egyptians have to suffer because of Pharaoh being so stubborn? Right, after all, even the magicians, the first two plagues they can duplicate. Of course they can't reverse them. Right? So it's not really helpful if the magicians can make more frogs. They can't get rid of them. But the first two plagues they can duplicate, the third one they can't, and they say, this is the finger of God. The magicians aren't as stubborn as Pharaoh is. So you might say, well, how is it fair that they all have to suffer because of Pharaoh's stubbornness? Well, this isn't just an issue with the plagues in particular. This is a reality that comes along with living in a fallen world in general. God could have ordered the we- world so that every one of us would live in our own bubble, our own hermetically sealed bubble, and none of us would have the capacity to help or hurt anyone else. God didn't make the world that way. After all, that would be a very lonely and isolating form of existence. You couldn't do anything to help anyone else. No one could do anything to help you because... and. You couldn't hurt anybody else but also couldn't help anybody else so god made the world in such a way that our individual actions can and do meaningfully affect others for better and for worse so here the rest of the egyptians suffered for pharaoh's stubbornness and the israelites had also suffered because of pharaoh's stubbornness and cruelty for generations this is one of the horrible realities of living in a fallen world that one person sins and sometimes many people bear the consequences But notice this that's not the only thing we can say in response to this question in the midst of the plagues god made a way out for any egyptians who believed and obeyed his word so look at chapter 9 verse 19. this is the seventh plague we're looking ahead a little bit in the story But look at the warning God gives. God says, the hail's going to come. It's going to be very destructive. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Verse 20, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So God gave a warning and an opportunity for any Egyptians who believed and obeyed his word to be protected. And if you go and look a little further, in chapter 12, verse 38, when God finally leads the Israelites out of Egypt, it's not just the Israelites who went. Chapter 12, verse 38 says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. In other words, a large group of people, a multitude of Egyptians who believed and obeyed the word of the Lord were rescued along with the Israelites. God made a way for any Egyptians who believed his word, even in the midst of his judgment falling upon their nation. You know, maybe you have suffered greatly, like many of Pharaoh's servants did, because of somebody else's stubbornness, selfishness, or cruelty. That does not mean that God has rejected you. That does not mean that God doesn't care about you. If you will believe and obey the word of the Lord, like those servants of Pharaoh did, God will make a way for you so that you can enjoy the blessings of belonging to God through Jesus Christ. You can receive all the spiritual blessings that are promised to us through Jesus if you believe and obey his word. Even if you have had to endure the consequences of other people's foolishness in in much of your life. Second common question that I want to address briefly before we move to the next point is, does God send plagues like these ones as an expression of his judgment on wicked people today? Now, I think this is a challenging question, and so I think we need to give a careful answer. On the one hand, we should not assume that every bad thing that befalls someone is a direct punishment for a particular act of disobedience. In the Bible, sometimes bad things happen simply because we live in a fallen world. And creation doesn't work the way it, it ought to. Sometimes bad things happen because of other people's sins, like the, servant, the, the servants of Pharaoh. Sometimes, as in the book of Job, it's the people who love God the most who suffer the most. So the Bible doesn't give one answer to why do bad things happen in this world. It gives multiple answers. In this story, Pharaoh disobeyed a clear command of God, and God sent Moses to warn him about the judgment that would happen as a result. In many cases today, it's not always that clear. God doesn't always tell us the reasons why certain things happen. And it's unwise and often can be harmful for us to make confident pronouncements about things that God has not clearly said. Like, why did all these bad things happen to you? In Luke chapter 13, Jesus mentioned 18 people who had died when a tower fell down upon them. And Jesus said this, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Okay, so we shouldn't assume that every bad thing that happens is a direct punishment on a particular sin. On the other hand, I think we need to balance this truth with the other side. On the other hand, this passage about the plagues contains an important and valid principle. The principle is this. When individuals or groups of people or leaders like Pharaoh disregard and ignore and overstep God's moral boundaries, the end result over time will tend to be chaos and destruction and death. Sooner or later, when we insist on tearing apart the moral fabric of the universe, the physical fabric of the universe will come undone as well. God judges the world with patience, and so we don't immediately see all the consequences of Uh, of our rebellion against God, but he will judge the world with justice. And so if we ignore and repeatedly violate God's moral boundaries, we do so at our own peril. Were the people who died when the tower fell worse than everybody else? Jesus said no. But the next sentence he said was this. He said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, in other words, unless you turn from your sin to God, you will all likewise perish. You see, if we look around and see the world unraveling, descending into chaos and ruin, like Egypt did during the plagues, Jesus says that each and every one of us should take that opportunity to turn from our evil ways and turn to the one true God and trust in Jesus Christ and seek him once again. So we shouldn't assume that every bad thing that happens is a direct punishment for people's sin, but there's an important principle that we should take to heart from this passage. Uh, that God's judgments invite us to turn to him and trust in him. So God sent the plagues to save his people, to judge his enemies. Finally, last point, and this point really encapsulates them all, if if you see it. Uh, God sent the plagues to reveal his character. God sent the plagues to show Pharaoh and the Israelites and the whole world who the real God is. So you might have noticed another one of these repeated statements. Chapter 7, verse 17, Moses says, By this you shall know that i am the lord and chapter 8 verse 10 moses says it'll happen like this so that you may know that there is no one like the lord our god chapter 8 verse 22 and chapter 9 verse 14 say the same thing god is sending these plagues to reveal his character to reveal to the world and to pharaoh and to the israelites who he really is Uh, do you remember a couple chapters ago, if you were here a couple weeks ago, the first thing that Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron when Moses and Aaron came before him and said, let my people go. Do you remember the first comment Pharaoh made? He says, who's the Lord? I don't know him and I won't listen to him. And God's saying, oh yes, Pharaoh, you are gonna know who I am. You're not going to be ignorant by the end of all this. You're gonna see very clearly right in front of your eyes who I am, that I am the Lord, the one true God, that none of the gods of Egypt that you and your people are worshiping, none of them are worthy of your worship. I'm the only one who made the world and holds it together. You see, the Egyptians worshiped the Nile River. And the first plague, the Lord turned turned the water into blood. That God wasn't worth worshiping anymore. The sun goddess was depicted as a cow, and a fertility god was depicted as a bull, and when the Lord sent a plague on all the Egyptian livestock, on all the cattle, those gods didn't help. Min was the Egyptian god of crops. When the Lord sent the locust, Min couldn't do anything to stop it. The Egyptian god Seth supposedly manifested himself in wind and storms, but the Lord sent an even more powerful hailstorm, and last but not least, Pharaoh himself claimed to be the representative of Ra the sun god, and God plunges the whole land of Egypt into darkness for three days. Do you see what God is doing? He's showing in every one of the plagues, he's knocking down every one of the idols of Egypt one by one by one. And he's saying, none of them are worth your trusting or worshiping or devoting yourself to. Now, when you and I hear the names of all these ancient Egyptian gods, I suspect that probably none of us or very few of us are inclined to worship any of them. Because we all hear their names and we think, well, they're obviously not real, right? We've never even heard of most of their names. They're just projections of people's hopes and fears and desperate attempts to control reality in one way or another. But just because we're not inclined to worship the gods of ancient Egypt doesn't mean that we're free from the temptation of worshiping false gods. People today worship all kinds of things, success, Children, money, sex, power, themselves. We can worship ourselves like Pharaoh did. Pharaoh thought he was a god. We all want to be our own little pharaohs and do whatever we want, have nobody question us and nobody tell us we're wrong. Now, whenever we build our lives around something, like any of those things, Whenever we think, that's the thing that'll make my life satisfying and meaningful. And if I lose it, my life will fall apart and my life will no longer be worth living. That's what we're worshiping. Success, health, children, money, power, whatever. Whatever it might be. Whenever we put our main attention and hopes and dreams into something. And you know what? If we worship anything else except the one true God one day the idol will fall. One day it'll fall apart. If you worship success, you might achieve it and you might still find that the satisfaction it gives only lasts for a little while and then you feel the need for more. If you worship money and somebody asked you, how much do you need? Your answer will always be just a little more. If you worship your children, They might one day grow up and disappoint you. And every time our idols don't deliver what they promise, the true God is calling us. And Jesus Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because when we worship idols, they make us weary. Because we do all kinds of things to try to get what we want and make ourselves happy, and it will never pay off in the end. And Jesus says, come to me and find rest and peace and righteousness from me. God wasn't just revealing himself to Pharaoh. God was revealing himself to the Israelites and to the whole world. In fact, chapter nine, verse 16, God says, for this purpose, I have raised you up so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why God sent the plagues. Yes, he sent them to save his people, Yes, he sent them to judge his enemies, but most of all, he sent them to reveal his character that we might know that he is the one true God and that we might stand on his promises and build our lives on him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Lord, this is a sobering passage as we see your judgment displayed on human sin and rebellion. We thank you for sending Jesus to make a way out for us. We thank you that by trusting in him, that all your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to take to heart uh, the lessons that you want each of us to take, to walk away with from this passage this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.